Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, David Dawson. It is episode 208 with Phoenix Webb. So I'm at the end of my long five or six week journey to the Midwest. I'll be leaving Austin today after I load out the show that I've been working on. It's been a uh, fun and difficult journey. Uh, It's been a long time away from family and friends. It's been a long time away from projects that I'm working on, although I have been able to get some productive work done on the road. Um, but it's been, it's been cool. Uh, basically got to live in Austin for a month, uh, hung out with the, the Kilnas. Uh, it's always great to see the Kilnas. Um, got to visit, uh, ever so briefly, got to visit the new set of Fear the Walking Dead, which has moved locations to Austin uh, while I've been here. And uh, spent a week in New Orleans, uh, which I wish was a better experience, except I came down with strep throat on the road, and uh, that made the whole time in New Orleans a little difficult. Um, Couldn't enjoy the really great foods, because I was sick. But um, I'm better now, and I'm about to hit the road to head back. Uh, Steve Froelich has been on this journey as well, uh, as my my co-driver and co-companion on these gigs. And uh, we'll be making the journey back over the next few days. We're going to stop at Carlsbad Caverns on the way home and uh, see the natural wonders of the world. And uh, really excited to get back. Um, Intellectual Entertainment is in the midst of the True San Diego Film Con Challenge. And uh, we're hard at work on adapting our, our short story into a script and having a good time with that. We actually made our casting decisions yesterday for the film. And Super, super excited to get that going. Um, As a side note, uh, this is the first year of the True San Diego Film Con Challenge, and I know some people were on the fence about signing up, and the kickoff was December 1st, but Jody and the Film Consortium have declared that they're going to allow late entries because this is the first year of the competition. And so if you go to filmconsortiumsd.com, You can go find information on signing up for True San Diego. It's a 60-day film competition, although we're three or four days into it now, so you're looking at like a 56-day, 55-day competition. But you can make a film between 7-minute and 15-minute runtime, and uh, it's based off of a short story that you will choose from a collection of stories handed to you as part of the competition from the writing group So Say We All. And uh, you've got all these days to adapt the script and then cast it, shoot it, deliver it. It's like a really, really long four points or 48 hour film project challenge. Um, Something that really, uh, I hope, allows the film team some real time to craft and develop uh, much more interesting, much more um, complete stories and productions. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what all the other teams participating come up with. And if you haven't signed up yet, I hope that you do. And if you're just looking for a team, uh, there's a Facebook page for, team, for True San Diego. Um, look for it and uh, let the teams know that you're available. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure that San Diego Filmmakers is going to allow people to uh, to look for uh, participants um, this coming Tuesday, December 12th, uh, at their at their monthly meeting. So if you haven't already been to a San Diego Filmmakers meeting, you should go check them out, sdfilmmakers.org. And uh, this coming Tuesday would be a good time for you to go uh, meet some filmmaking uh, people, possibly find yourself uh, a team to participate on for True San Diego. Now, we're going to get into the episode. This is uh, one of my favorite people in the community. It's Phoenix Webb, makeup artist extraordinaire. Uh, She has worked with me on the uh, short film, The Recency Effect. Uh, She and John Aviles were my uh, co-makeup artists on that project, and we had a wonderful time with that. And uh, Phoenix and I worked together on filming Diego and also on um, Tonight in San Diego and uh, a couple of other like professional projects uh, around as well. Uh, not just uh, you know, community-based stuff, but uh, some paying you know, corporate work um, on top of it all. Uh, Phoenix is a very caring, very lovely person, and we have a, a delightful chat. It's been a long time since this was recorded. Um, I recorded a whole bunch of episodes to have to air while I was out here on the road, and we're finally getting to Phoenix's. I'm really happy to present it to you now. This is Phoenix Webb on the 208th episode of the Intellectual Podcast. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. Hi, David. So we've been talking for like three hours. (laughs) It's really been that long? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you got here. What time did you get here? Oh, I don't know. Well, you were scheduled for what seven thirty, right? It's ten fifty now. So, <laughs> oh, we're just getting warmed up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we talked about all sorts of shit that's not on the podcast, so y'all can Shh, guess it's a secret. <laughs> so, how have you been? Um, other than bronchitis, I've been good. Oh yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's battling the bronchitis, folks. So. Uh, I can't give it away even if I'll do I want my to. best. I'll do my best to clean out the coughing uh, before this goes to air, but I might miss one or two. <laughs> You're so kind. Um, but, but no, aside from the bronchitis, like what what projects have you been on lately? Like, what, I think you told me a little bit ago, like you haven't you haven't really done stuff on tonight in San Diego for this block. So, what have you been up to? Um. Well, I've done. God, it seems like the year is a blur. <laughs> I did the uh, PGA with Susan Davis. Uh, that was that was in August, as a matter of fact, which I was happy to do. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I always like working with Susan. Uh I did the showcase earlier this year. I did the LA 48, the San Diego 48. And I know I've done some stuff in between. Like I said, it just, it all becomes a blur, (laughs) but I know it's stuff that I've enjoyed doing. Yeah. Which, uh, which team were you on, on the San Diego 48 this year? I was on Mercury Cinema. Oh, Roman. Yes. Yeah. Roman and I have been friends for a long time. Um, I DP'd for Roman on a film of his called Human Resources. Um, oh, nice he work! Did in two thousand one, very long nice. time ago. Yeah, 
That was the first. That was the first project that I ever DP'd uh, that wasn't my own. Actually, was with Roman. Nice. Yeah. So we we go way back, me and Roman. <laughs> cool. Um. Yeah, and how 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 did you find working on his forty eight project? What, what was that experience like? He works very efficiently. Yeah. And I can appreciate that, especially for a forty eight, because time is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And he's very professional, and he just keeps it moving on set. There's not, there's not a lot of dead time. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that on other sets where, you know, there are just lots of, you know, time gaps between setting up lights and setting up camera angles and what have you. But, you know, he gets in there, he gets it done, and everybody does what they have to do. It, it's it's actually very enjoyable. Cool. And um, the LA-48, who, whose team are you on for that? Uh, that was Terry Ross. Oh, okay. So you worked with Brian. Yes. Producer Brian. Definitely. Well, he was sound Brian on that film. Yes, he was. <laughs> how was uh, how was that experience working on that film? That was a lot of fun. That was in um, oh my gosh, where were we? We were in Julian. Yeah, you were at some vineyard or something, right? Yes, and I love working with Terry Ross. Working with Susan and Terry, they are, they're women, so their perspective is different. Mm-hmm. Women directors, or women directors, I should say, in general, always have a different perspective than male directors. Right. And with Terry in particular, she's easy to work with. She wants people to feel comfortable on set and she works to get the performances you know that she needs for her picture. Mm-hmm. She does it with an ease though. She has patience. She's very patient on set. And I can see from an actor's perspective how that would be really soothing mm-hmm. on set. But I've worked with Terry on quite a few projects. Yeah, what else What else did you work on? Um, for the past two years, I have been her makeup artist for her actor's showcase. Mm, right. And um, I've done the filmed portions as well as the live portions. Oh, okay. The cool. live portions is as the actor's request or as they need. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's actually a lot of fun. You know, we stow away at a location for a week and film two or three scenes per day. Right. And it's kind of like being at film camp. <laughs> it's a yeah, great. She told she told me yesterday because I'm I'm hel- I'm helping her teach some stuff in her class right now. Um, she told me yesterday that she thinks she's zoned in on the uh, on the theme for this year's showcase. So. Oh my. Yeah, so care to share? N- not on the show. <laughs> oh, I can tell you offline. Okay, because um, it's her place to make that announcement. Of um, but no, she's she's great. She's so she is so kind and gentle and caring yep. with the people she works with. 
um, I really, I really enjoy working with her on stuff. And actually, yesterday getting to teach alongside her was a really, mm-hmm. really nice experience. Really, I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So hopefully, it's the start of like kind of a regular teaching collaboration, which would be cool. So that would fingers crossed. You know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I can't. Ex- I, I, I can't see her not wanting to have your valuable knowledge shared with her students on a continuous basis. We'll see. <laughs> um, how long have you had the bronchitis? Since August. Oh, good Lord. It's miserable. I think the last time I got it, it took 12 weeks to get rid of it. People have, people have just been sharing with me when I say I have bronchitis people are like oh i've had it for four months one woman in a yoga class was like oh i had it for five months i just couldn't get rid of it yeah and people just for some reason people love sharing their it's like you know, war stories woes. man it's like it's like i feel you brother like i was in this i was in the stink too like i know i know what it's like those trenches suck <laughs> it's horrible and you know i haven't been sick in three years Yes, you're making up for all of it right now. (laughs) Curses. Just curses. (laughs) Um, So, where did you grow up, Phoenix? Oh, Lord. Um, Well, let me just give you the breakdown of states. (laughs) I was born in Texas and spent a couple seconds there then a little time in Alabama, and then half of my childhood in Colorado, the second half in North Carolina. What part of Colorado? Uh, Colorado Springs, oh, okay. primarily. Yeah, I like Colorado Springs. And the Cave of the Winds. and Oh, my God. Garden of the Gods and all that stuff there. Yeah. God's country. Yeah. It's For beautiful. real. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, How was North Carolina? Culture shock. Yeah. And it's funny because I... I my mother's family is Southern. So being raised with a Southerner in Colorado just somehow didn't quite translate. (laughs) So going to North Carolina, it was just absolute culture shock. Mm -hmm. It was in the sixth grade when girls are starting to become mean and they were the meanest people ever. So from sixth grade until I graduated high school in North Carolina was just a very strange experience. Wow. Um, And then I did a couple years of college in West Virginia. Then I moved to Atlanta and landed up in California in 1996. When did you, because I know you weren't like always a makeup artist. Mm, not in the professional sense. Yeah. When did you start getting into the arts? Like, what what motivated your move into the arts? Shall we offer to pay anybody a dollar who can count all the coughs? <laughs> we should just leave all the coughs in for that right there alone. One dollar for the person who correctly tallies all the coughs. But just a dollar. Don't ask for anything more. I'm a broke artist. <laughs> Um, I think I always had, I always had an interest in quote unquote Hollywood, Mm -hmm. 
it, it's, it's really funny how life can be. I had worked for a major nonprofit um, here in San Diego for quite a number of years, and I was desperately unhappy with it. Mm-hmm. So when I was essentially forced to quit, I had a few years of downtime, and then I decided to go back to school. I took a makeup for theater class at San Diego City College, and I realized how much I really liked applying makeup on other people. Mm. I was a wizard applying makeup on myself. I'd been practicing since I was 12 years old. I had that part of it down pat. So in taking that class, I thought, well, maybe I could do this as a career. It had not really ever occurred to me to do that. So then I went and I took certification classes because I thought, well, I can't call myself a professional makeup artist if I don't have education. Right. That was my line of thinking. So I went, I got my certifications. I wound up with a total of three certifications in different kinds of makeup. What kind? Uh, Beginning, advanced. And then um, I did a separate certification for wedding and pinup makeup, um, where I also learned how to use an airbrush. You know, it was it was all good. It was all taught by one instructor. Mm-hmm. And what my biggest takeaways were was sanitation. You know, on a professional level, you can't be filthy, right? In putting people's makeup on. You can't have filthy brushes. You can't have a filthy area, etc. Right. Um, and then right after I did one of my certifications, a friend of mine was like, hey, I'm in film school. Can you come and do our makeup? I said, sure. And I was super geeked. And then after that experience, I thought, I can actually have a career in film doing makeup. Hoorah! <laughs> I never really saw myself as an actor. Mm-hmm. Although if I were ever asked to do a role, I think I would do really well with it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the first thing I thought of when it came to film. Right. But who knew? <laughs> it, it's been a really... It's been a great experience so far yeah and i've been doing this since what year is this 2017 (laughs) i think i've been doing this since 2014 okay in three short years i think i've accomplished a lot so that because i i first met you at the film awards in 2015 15 yeah so you'd only been at it for a little while, mm-hmm. and there you were already winning, winning the award, and that's cool. First year out, yeah, and I've won two more since. Go you! <laughs> what is it? Um, you know, you and I were talking a bit offline about a lot of people calling themselves something but not really understanding what it is they're doing. <laughs> um. When somebody's looking to hire a makeup artist, what exactly is it they're hiring you to do? Because to just say you do makeup, I think, is, 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 is like 
lots of women do their makeup in the mirror in the morning doesn't make them a makeup artist. Right. Um, what what is it that you bring to the table? What is it what is it somebody's actually getting when they're when they're hiring you to do makeup? When they're hiring me to do makeup, I can really only speak for myself mm-hmm. um, in the hopes that other makeup artists have the same thing. Yeah. And that is they are hiring me for my knowledge. They're hiring me for my sanitation practices. They're hiring me to know how to do my job without being asked to do certain things. They're asking, they're hiring me to have that critical eye and to be part of the video village to see what the camera is picking up mm-hmm. and to have the strength and confidence to say, hold for makeup, hold for hair, and make those adjustments. Again, get back in the video village, see it through the lens of the camera to see how that looks. And then to maintain that makeup look for as long as what's needed for that time on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you'd also be hiring me to know how to match someone's skin tone or how to correct their skin tone, how to correct skin issues that maybe the actor doesn't want seen on camera. Um, you're asking me to be compliant in what the director's vision is or to be able to communicate. If the director can't tell me what they want their actors to look like, then there's someone close to the director that knows what the director wants Mm -hmm. or what that vision is supposed to be. So communication, knowledge of what I do, um, experience, that counts for something. My own transportation to and from set, you know, plus my supplies, you know, all of that mm-hmm. is part of what I charge as a makeup artist. What, um, what are some of the, the more difficult challenges as a makeup artist for you on set? Like- <laughs> um, No two sets are the same. Mm-hmm. No two challenges really are the same. Um, on one set, the challenge was that the director did not trust what I was doing. Um, the director had given me one person for the makeup test three different times before production. And then the actual actress was entirely different than the person I had done the makeup test for. (laughs) Different skin tone, different... Different everything. Yeah. Um, On another set, the director didn't know what they wanted their actors to look like. No one else knew what he wanted either. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't shy about asking me when I got to set for a ribbon for one of the character's hair until I had gotten to set. (laughs) No prior discussion whatsoever. So hopefully you had a ribbon. I did not. And I let them know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, 
you know, some of the other challenges I've been faced with on different sets um, have been, you know, disagreements between producer and director as to what characters should look like. Mm. Um, sometimes there are production meetings that I don't even know about beforehand. So when I get to set, you know, I'm kind of in the dark right. as to what the makeup should be. Well, that's a, that's a good question for you. At what stage in production do you feel like the makeup artist should become engaged in what's going on? As soon as people know that they're, as soon as the production team is put together, I feel like it is acceptable and it is appropriate that the makeup artist be involved in the beginning stages of production so that there is clear communication and I think that is also the time to map out what what are the characters supposed to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the palette? Uh, what time periods are we dealing with? What stages? What scenes? What makeup? And pulling all of that together so that there is a cohesive plan. So you want to be an active part of the pre-production process. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. I think that's something, and, I, and I've, I've been saying this now on the podcast for the better part of the year. Uh, it's like I'm, I'm kind of like picking a topic every year that is kind of my focus. Uh, last year was all about sound, um, but now I think this year the thing that I've been really kind of harping in on is that like we need to spend more time in pre-production. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in a rush to go shoot stuff. Oh yeah, and. You know, again, there's a certain film competition in town that everybody loves to do, but it teaches us a lot of bad habits, I think. <laughs> I think it reinforces you know? some bad behaviors. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I think everybody needs to take a little step back and slow down a little bit and getting to what you're saying about you wanting to be in as early as possible when the production team is put together. You are a department head, right? I mean, as, as the makeup artist, as the primary makeup artist on a set, you know, if theoretically you are the head of that department, so you should be part of the whole process of deciding color schemes and how does the makeup interact with the costuming and how does the costuming and the makeup together look on the camera and, and how does it all look on the particular actor, actress after they've been cast because yeah. doing it on the wrong person doesn't matter. Yep. Don't don't screen test the look of the makeup on someone other than the person who's going to wear it. Because exactly. you're just you're just making stuff up that doesn't matter otherwise, right? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think so many more films need to be kind of slowed down now in town and and really thought through, you know, with a great level of detail. Um, because I want to see our productions here in town really elevate. I and, do too. And and stand firmly alongside films that are coming out of LA and Atlanta and New York and Chicago and and not look like, oh, those guys in San Diego, they're really good, you know, hobby filmmakers. But they don't really they don't really hold up up here against the big boys, you know? Like I want to see more of our films standing up. Less amateurish. Yeah. Yeah. Less like somebody's playing with 
their camera equipment Mm -hmm. as opposed to focusing in on story and not story for the sake of story, but story for the sake of actually telling a story worth sitting down to watch and listen to. And when watching a story play out, it should be engaging. And it has to be visually engaging. Mm-hmm. And that's where hair, makeup, and costume come together. Yeah. I think we've got a lot of really good DPs in town. We've got some I think we've got DPs. some really great framing going on, but I think a lot of films are falling a little short because it's like everything's devoted to how the camera's looking. I don't think enough, <laughs> I don't think enough thought is going into what the camera's looking at, you know? Um and and getting to what you're saying about the story being right, like, look, if you're if you're going to be like, a lo- there's a lot of people in town they want to start making features for whatever reason. Um, features and, are and, exhausting, and they're, and they're going to be shooting them on weekends or whatever. But you know, they're shooting hopefully a thirty day shoot, you know, um, at a, at a, at a minimum for a feature. I would like to see at least a twenty one day shoot, if not a thirty day shoot, you know, for a, a standard drama. But let me let me pose this to the listeners. Like, if you're going to devote the resources to shoot for 30 days and then probably do, what, three or four months of post, mm-hmm. don't shoot a script that you wrote in an afternoon and haven't done any revisions on. You know? Like, if you're going to take 15 days to 30 days to shoot the film, why don't you go ahead and take, like, 15 days to 30 days to work on your script? before you shoot it too you know like please take the time to look at your script and pass it around to people you trust so that your script rocks and it is rock solid yeah and if somebody responds to you like oh yeah it's good like yeah not good enough try again find somebody else to read it because that person's not giving you anything to go on (laughs) you know a pat on the back is not enough like you need you need people who are going to give you good honest honest critiques yes not criticism whitney corrected me on that earlier but constructive constructive criticism criticism and you know notes are your friend you know you can only improve if, if if you're getting notes you're not getting notes from people they're not helping you out. <laughs> and the other part of that I will add is that artistic endeavors should not make us so sensitive that we cannot take constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. We should have the humility, the hubris to to understand that our stuff is not perfect, especially for first-time filmmaking. Right. Don't take it personally. It's to make your art better. Mm-hmm. What's well, really interesting, I know in my own personal journey as a filmmaker, and I've watched it in a number of other filmmakers over the years, specifically on the directing side, <laughs> Um you come in and it's like, I got a bold vision and it's all my vision. It's my vision. We're making my vision. We're bringing my vision to screen. It's like, man, fuck your vision. It's a group effort. You know, it's like, it's like, yes, you're the director. Yes. You might've wrote it, you know, but in the end, 
the film that gets produced is a mixture of your vision, the actor's vision, the editor's vision, the, mm-hmm. the makeup artist's vision. Everybody's bringing their vision to the project and it, it becomes this like thing that's not solely your own, you know? And early on in, in my career as a director, I hung on to this idea that it's my vision. It's my vision so much that I, I didn't collaborate the way I should with the people I worked with early on. And that was a problem. And I didn't recognize it as a problem until somebody said to me, you know, as an actor, it was like, uh, somebody said to me, uh, I, I don't know if you're happy or unhappy with what I'm doing. Um, cause you're not talking to me, you know, you're focused on the camera. You're, you're like busy doing other things and, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel lost as an actor on your set. And I was like, damn, you know, like if an actor's feeling lost on my set, I'm not doing my job, you know? And so that kind of started a whole cascade of changes in me as a director to pay attention more, yep. not just to those actors, but to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And to kind of step out of their way. So like my DPs now, I really don't hover over my DPs anymore. Well, that's gracious of you. Um, well, you know, <laughs> I, if you're coming in to do a job for me on the mm-hmm. set, I have to trust you to do the job. Exactly. Now there might be one or two shots in a film where I have a really heavy opinion about how it should be done. And I will talk to the DP about it at that point mm-hmm. and make sure that we're achieving the look that, that scene needs Mm -hmm. but for the most part i need to trust my dp to have read the script understand have had a dialogue with me about the emotional impact of what we're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. the look we're trying to go for same thing with the makeup artist same thing with you know costuming Mm -hmm. or set design anybody who's working on my film we should have had enough of a pre-production plan in place that we know what we're doing and we're working Mm -hmm. as a well-oiled machine and I don't need Mm -hmm. to micromanage. Exactly. (laughs) You know? And then what I have found is in the doing of that, in the trusting my film team that I've put together Mm -hmm. to do the things that we've all agreed upon, I can then spend my time in a much more luxurious fashion. Working with the actors, which quite frankly is the part of directing that I love the most. Like I love getting to motivation and and blocking and figuring out, you know, why we're doing what we're doing in the mm-hmm. context of the scene, you know. And um, now that I'm actually working with the actors at that level, like I'm loving it so much more as a director than I ever did when I was holding on to everything so tight, <laughs> you know. And my films are better. Yes. You know, like wildly better. There's such a, there's like a mark. There's like a delineation in my career. If you go back and start watching my shorts, which I have almost all of them are online. There's a moment where Mm -hmm. you see like kind of a light bulb switch. And then the quality of the films just start getting better and better and better and better and better. You know, and I'm still like trying to achieve getting to my films to like that stratospheric level where I'm like, Oh my God, I, I fucking impressed myself. But you're closer now, <laughs> you know, than but I'm way were. closer now than I was, but I got there because somebody actually said to me, you know, Hey, mm-hmm. um, as an actor, I feel like you ignored us on set. <laughs> 
but you and they know were what? honest with me. Thank them for that, you know. And that honesty, it takes great courage to be honest. It really does, especially in today's environment, I think. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and name the person who said that to me. It was Roman Koenig. Roman is just awesome. He really is. Yeah. He's he's such a he's such a seasoned pro in so many aspects. Um and he's one that I have personally encouraged to stop doing the competitions and go straight to his you know what his creativity needs to be fulfilled well, i remember he came to our premiere of what's the vig back in 2006 ah. the, the feature that i did i produced and dp'd it but i remember him standing in the audience afterwards and it's not a great movie by any means you know it's my <laughs> it's my the room you know um but you know we made the effort and it was 2005 mm-hmm. the tools weren't where they are today like just trying to achieve anything close to the quality back then that we can achieve today is like light years like i mean we're shooting on an sd camera you know it wasn't an <laughs> hd it's all shot on tape and you know but it it was a big effort mm-hmm. you know and um i learned on that movie to take a little bit more time with the script ahead of time you know like yes. that was one of those things you know, when i say the critique Mm-hmm. We need to spend more time on pre-production. I'm wholeheartedly accepting the fact that I've been guilty of that myself in the past. And I've worked on films where, where that's been an issue and I've learned from it. And I hope that other people are learning from me talking about mm-hmm. it, you know, but, um, I think the other purpose that pre-production serves pre-production meetings, I think the purpose it also serves is for everyone to come together and to meet each other. Mm-hmm. And start that working that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> that really a working relationship starts yeah. in the pre-production process. Yep. That way, everybody gets a chance to know each other by sight and by name. Also, see how everybody else, at least how they think and where their heads at when mm-hmm. it comes to the production. Yeah. And then also to to work, start working together. And those working relationships that happen in the pre-production process, it can make or break the actual production. Right. And after, you know, that production wraps, some of those relationships, because it started in the pre-production process, those are stronger working bonds. And I feel like the entire San Diego industry needs those stronger bonds Mm -hmm. we all have something to learn we all have something to teach as well and if we're all on the same page learning the same good behaviors learning the right way to do things that inevitably increases the value of our projects Mm -hmm that will get us noticed in the larger markets. Yeah. And who doesn't want that? Hopefully everybody does. Uh, Getting back to what I was saying, so Roman came to the premiere of What's the Vig? Uh Uh-huh. And we're standing around, he's talking to me and my dad. My dad was the executive producer. And and he's like, and, and 
Roman's like, I'm just impressed that you guys did this. Like you did it. You went out and made a feature film. Like I'm, I'm amazed. Like I'm, you know, how, how did you do it? <laughs> My dad and I just looked at him and said, we decided to do it. That's beautiful. You know, 2005 it was before, way before film consortium and anything mm-hmm. else. And like everybody was pretty isolated back then. I didn't know hardly anybody in town mm-hmm. really. Um, but we pulled it off. We figured it out, you know, like, um, again, I can pat myself on the back for the accomplishment of getting it done, but I'm also going to be very honest with you that it's not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's got moments, Mm -hmm. you know, but like I was learning like anybody else was at the time, you know, like we ADR'd like a huge portion of the film and I'd never ADR'd anything before. So I was Mm. learning that whole process as we went along and it's better towards the end than it is at the beginning. And, you know, it's (laughs) like, um, you know, but the lessons I learned in ADR on that translated into, you know, three years ago, I worked on an indie film up in LA and we had to ADR 70% of that film, too. And, oh, wow. And anybody who watches the movie doesn't know we ADR'd it. Nice. You know, so, like... That's smooth. That experience of doing What's the Vig, mm-hmm. while it wasn't a movie that made us any money or anything, it was a huge, like, learning process for me and nice. for a bunch of the rest of our team. And certainly after that film, you know... Uh, you definitely see on a technical level a lot of things that we were like, okay, this didn't work in What's the Vig. Let's focus on this in the next movie. And mm-hmm. we hammered that short out and really kind of tuned in the look. And then it's like, okay, sound's still an issue. Let's work on sound on the next one. The next short, the sound's better. <laughs> you know, you can see in the shorts, everything after, the, after What's the Vig, everything we did after 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, really, once we started doing 48s, because our first 48 was 2007, mm-hmm. right? Every 48 was an excuse to work on some aspect of filmmaking that we still felt we needed work on. But that is a brilliant plan. It yeah. really is. So it's uh, it's really fun. Like, I like to go back and watch every once in a while. Just mm-hmm. go through, spend an afternoon, just kind of watch the catalog. And nice. kind of remind myself of the journey that I'm on. That I'm still on, not mm-hmm. you know, like, um. So I I love it. I love going back and watching the stuff that we do and the things that we've worked on. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think recency effect, which you were our makeup artist on. Yes, I was. Um, was one of those pivotal film moments for me, because mm. um, that's where we really kind of said, okay, well, we've got this core group of people that we've worked with. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to a certain level. Right. And I said to Teresa and Brian, I'm like, I'm going to bring in a lot more people. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bring in really talented people to complement and fill in the rest of these spaces that we're short on. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've hit our limit in mm-hmm. what we can do just as us. Right. And I want us to start folding in bringing in the rest of it, you know, mm-hmm. and we had 48 people on the recent, I effect remember between it was cast a lot and of crew. people. It was a huge group. 
It was huge. I remember Jody telling me ahead of time. She's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you can, you can go in from like a five crew of five, crew of six <laughs> to like 40 something. Like, she's like, it's a recipe for disaster. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know. I think this is going to be great. You know, and mm-hmm. I went into it with just this huge positive attitude. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that I'd worked with uh, Michael Bergemeyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and How was that experience? I loved it. I did. Um, we had podcasted earlier that year. Nice. And kind of aired out some of my personal bullshit. You know? Because, <laughs> um, you know, like I've said it before, I didn't I didn't like Mike for a long time. I had an irrational kind of hatred of him for a while. It wasn't wow. irrational. It came from certain places. Mm. A certain timed film festival in town created some of those negative feelings wow Uh, a certain transfer of a performer from our team to his team created some of those feelings you know but i never talked to mike brugemeyer i didn't know the guy i just hated him for all these different things you know so having a good two-hour conversation with him on the podcast was like a great chance to be like you know i didn't like you for a long time and (laughs) let's just talk about it you know (laughs) wow and i laid it all out like that podcast was also a pivotal moment in my film career because i i i called bullshit on myself Mm -hmm. in the midst of talking with mike brugemeyer nice and you know, since then we've had a really like wonderful kind of working relationship and pers- personal friendship, and um, he's a great guy. And you know, he genuinely cares about this film community. He wants to see people succeed. He wants to see his own film team succeed, which you know you can't blame him for that. And not at all. You know, but um, but if if you're the type of person who comes in and does the work and and shows up on time and is reliable and professional mm-hmm. like he's gonna help you out in any way he can he's that Definitely. type of guy you know and um and he wants to mentor people you know yes um and i can see that and we had that conversation in the podcast and i asked him i was like hey i'm gonna do uh the four points and i want to really build out my team because it's time for me to start working with other people, and I would love it if you would AD. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Absolutely." That's awesome. You know, and he's like, "What? How? What? What do you need me to do to help you out?" And I was like, "Well, I'm looking for, you know, a gaffer, and mm-hmm. uh, I would love to get your sound guy on board." And like, you know, we just kind of went through the whole thing. And he's like, "Absolutely, let's get it all together." You know, and so recency effect was like this beautiful film crew that was a mixture of my people, his people, mm-hmm. some other people that neither of us had worked with before, but we wanted to like take a shot at and you know, it was fantastic. It was like <laughs> just like this fantastic collaborative real like everybody was in so much sync on that set. Um it was very even though it went, even though it went from my little team of five the year before, <laughs> you know, to a team of, you know, almost 10 times that size. <laughs> it was about equivalent to a small town. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it, it wasn't daunting, you know, you seemed comfortable. Yeah. It just felt really good. And that I, I've said it to a few people. That was the first night that I truly felt like I wore my director's hat. Nice. You know, um, 
and that's an awesome first though yeah it really is yeah i mean it's not the film that i won best director for but hey i shot that film that spring so it was like a good year like i shot this really big film with the little team yep and said i love this but we can do more and let's bring more people in so that was just a that whole year was just like a, a wonderfully big pivotal year for for me and really all the intellectuals um as a team um but you were the first you were the first real like makeup artist that i brought in specifically to be a makeup artist you and john avalis really yep first time we'd ever brought somebody in really like specifically to just be a makeup artist for us well thank you so i'm honored Truly. Yeah. I had a guy lined up for the things happen, but he backed out like 45 minutes before he was supposed to show up. Ooh. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> that was that was the night of our big car crash scene. He was oh coming my. in specifically to do the car crash makeup. Oh, dude. So we had to scramble and figure out how to make my sister look bloody and stuff. Like, oh, no. It was like 10 p.m. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Scrambling around CVS and stuff, trying to find stuff to make it happen. <laughs> well, you sh- probably should have called me. I didn't know you at the time. You did it. How long ago was it? Uh, we shot Things Happen um, around the time you were winning your film award. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was like that time frame. Wow. So, yeah, it was... You know, it's kind of crazy. I didn't know anybody really, you know? Wow. Now you have a whole host of people. Yeah, now I got like a Rolodex of people I can call, which is (laughs) kind of fun. (laughs) I will. Now I just got to figure out how to pay everybody. (laughs) Well, you're getting there, you know? All these different pieces that you work to improve, you know, somewhere along the line, finance comes into it. Yeah, that's the next piece. That is. It's a valuable piece. And it's not something to be taken lightly. Mm-mm. And nobody gets it right the first time out. No. I've had a lot of awkward conversations myself in my own career arc. Um, one of the things you were talking about, you know, just watching your own progression is invaluable. I do the same. I look through my Instagram and I see like earlier photos that I posted. Mm-hmm. More out of geeked out pride of my special effects. Because, you know, beauty makeup, I can do it in my sleep, blindfolded. I can do a face. I I know this about myself. Mm -hmm. Special effects is a different skill set. Right. So when my friend, the producer, who first brought me on her projects that she was producing for her film school classes um, with John Paul, the great school in Escondido, um, you know, they would ask, oh, well, we need a gunshot. Can you do a gunshot wound? Sure. <laughs> you know, and so with, uh, I wouldn't even say trepidation. I would just say, you know, dumb luck at first, you know, creating those gunshot wounds. I look at them now and I just, I shudder to think that that, that I was so proud that I would post it on Instagram of all places. <laughs> But I've seen my own career arc in doing special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned better ways of doing things. I've learned better products to use. And you know, watching 
I think anybody who cares about what they do in, especially in the entertainment industry, should always make the time to go back and review their body of work. Mm-hmm. Because for makeup artistry especially, as well as special effects, it has to be believable. You know, right. when you see it on camera, it has, it's, it's part of selling, you know, the actor's character and mm-hmm. what they're going through. Um, I think one of my best special effects was somebody having a whiplash or like the uh, mark of the seatbelt going across their chest, oh, yeah. having been in an accident. Belt bruise. Oh my gosh. It's also on my Instagram, Phoenix Web NUA. That's my Instagram, that's my website, that's everything. And you can find me all over social media. I seem to have no shame in what I post. So. <laughs> you know, cautiously. Speaking um, of like bruises from like severe <laughs> trauma, it's not a makeup thing, but I, uh, I had a head injury uh, during a soccer tryout. I was oh, wow. a goalkeeper, so I came out on a one-on-one with an attacking player. Uh-huh. And I dove down to stop the ball, basically threw myself towards his feet. Ooh. And I took this player's knee right to my forehead. Ouch. He was running at a full sprint. I was running at a full sprint. And I went knee, like forehead to knee, full bore, both of us. Ooh. Um, and I was out in an instant. I woke up with like a whole bunch of people staring at me from above, right? And I had a goose egg on my forehead the size of a softball. But the bruise that formed on that uh-huh. was literally in the stitch pattern of his soccer socks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Please it, tell me you have a picture of that. It was incredible. No, this is like 1989 or something. I think my oh, dad took dang. a picture, but I don't. I don't have the photos of it anywhere. That but is crazy. It was wicked to look in the mirror like two days later, and I swear to God, it was. I'm like, oh my god, that's that's his sock <laughs> on this giant bump on my forehead, which took like four weeks to go away. Oh my god! <laughs> Can you imagine today? You got something like that. Those photos would be all over the internet. Oh, yeah. Lickety yeah. split. I, I post everything. Oh, my everything. God. This is so cool. I have to take a picture of it. I post everything on my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was sitting in this couch a couple years ago just watching TV. It was so bizarre. And I go, I like, kind of felt my lip. And I'm like, my lip feels funny. And I walked into my sister's room. And I'm like, hey, Teresa. In my lip fat. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, it looked like I had a freaking like a uh, tomato worm, you know, those giant fucking worms. Like my lip just expanded like 20 times normal. From what? Never found out. <laughs> Went to like called my doctor. Uh-huh texted him the photo uh-huh. of my lip and he writes me back meet me at my office you know like and so what did drove he over prob- he gave me he gave me a you know he gave me a EpiPen type shot and uh gave me a bunch of benadryl and like half hour later it started shrinking and <laughs> like that that was it like I don't know we don't know what it was like maybe a bug bit me or something oh my god but it was like a wildly fast like 
allergic reaction. My lip just swelled up. It was just my lip. My my eyes didn't swell or anything. It's totally localized to the right side of my lip. Oh, you know, and it like spread across as it puffed out. But like, oh my god, I'll show you the photo afterward. It's fucking oh, hilarious. Wow. <laughs> but at least now you. I'll know. give you that photo because you you probably would want to like have it as reference, like for some you know makeup effect down the road you know i'm already thinking like that you know ooh, silicone buildable silicone <laughs> it's pretty incredible like at least now you would know what you would look like if you got uh lip filler yeah you're totally right. <laughs> yeah no thanks <laughs> that's a trend i keep seeing on youtube oh, oh i don't understand any of that stuff and these are young women yeah they are like 20-somethings yeah, and not it. even like mid to late 20-somethings. They're like younger 20s. And like this one YouTuber, she has a round face. Okay. Just lovely. But her lips are so filled. It, it just completely distorts. She can't even distorts. really talk. <laughs> it completely distorts the dimensions of her face. It's crazy. And it's, I mean, only, we really don't know what these fillers, what the long-term effects are of these fillers. Some of these young women are getting Botox already. Mm-hmm. And... Hey, my mom had silicone injected into her breasts in the 80s. Like, we we dealt with the fallout of that for years and years and oh, years. Oh, I'm years. sure. Uh, what a miserable, miserable experience that was. I'm telling you, we and you know, right now with the advent of all these, you know what Botox is, right? It's botulism. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like seriously, let's go inject botulism in ourselves. Like I don't know, I don't get it. Don't and get, they, you know, and so I can then I look like I'm just like really surprised all the time, like. <laughs> the way they're doing it now, it's you don't get that surprise look, but you get really unrealistically smooth mm-hmm. skin. And, I mean, just, it kills me. The abject vanity that I'm seeing played out. Yeah. When your eyebrows raise, your forehead should crinkle. Yes, that is natural. Yeah, it's natural. And it's what the human brain expects to see. It is natural. When it does not crinkle, Ex- something is off. Something and is terribly off. The the mind looking at it goes, <laughs> what is wrong? You know, like. <laughs> you always want to just tap on somebody and say, are you okay? <laughs> is there anything we can get you? Are you having you? a stroke? Like, <laughs> <laughs> It just, there is something to me very wrong. I don't know if it's like our ads or advertising in America is to blame. I don't know exactly where to lay the responsibility. It just seems so odd to me. We're being told, especially like in more recent years, as females were being told we don't have to worry about our weight. We don't have to worry about how we look as long as we feel good about ourselves. And we're being told that it's okay, you know, if we do injectables and Botox and all these other things to look impossibly, unrealistically young and full of collagen. 
I don't think you know what I don't. But even, at the same I time, it, I don't think I think it's gone beyond looking young. It's because because none of those people are looking young. Well, <laughs> it's a whole different look. Well, it's not just so much the look, but it's also. I just find it so odd. We're encouraged to do this. And we have these young women, especially on YouTube and in reality shows and what have you, showing us that it's how we look that matters. Mm -hmm. But no one is having the conversation, other than myself, with young women telling them, we are supposed to look our age. Even in the beauty industry, we are supposed to look human. It is okay to age it is perfectly acceptable to look like a real human Mm -hmm. and there should never be so much focus on how we look that we are disregarded for our intelligence our experience and our education because when looks fail that's all we have left is our minds and our accomplishments and what more we can do for others as well of our, as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I just, to me, it's absolutely disgusting to see young women showing other young women and even girls, you know, young teens and even preteens watching them on YouTube and by example, it's being put out there that it's okay to do all these artificial things to our faces and our bodies. And these YouTubers, they have no shame. They just talk about all kinds of shit. Yeah. But I mean, that's where I, I th- got my boobs done. That's what I got I'm my saying. It's not done. about looking young anymore because it's, it's all these young girls doing it. It's girls who still look young. It's ridiculous. Are doing all this work. So what is it, what is it they're actually trying to achieve now? They're achieving some sort of, false satisfaction look that yeah. isn't rooted in any sort of like natural beauty it's yep. all this manufactured processed look and honestly what does, honestly they're trying to look like the food they're eating i guess you know everybody just wants to be processed you know but you know the bigger message is what does that say to our society what is that what message is that going out there? Mm. And it goes even beyond the entertainment industry. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, it's just overall, what are we teaching our future generations as to how we should look, how we should treat ourselves, how we should present ourselves mm-hmm. to other people? And it's it's definitely a conversation that should be had in our society. And it's something we should be asking ourselves, seriously, what are we putting out there? We don't see that in movies, ironically. I don't see it in movies, you know, encouraging people to, to look completely different you know, almost unrecognizable as a living, breathing human. Right. You know, that doll look to me comes from somewhere else. Reality TV. 
hate it. <laughs> However, it's cheap to produce. It makes a lot of money. And if you can get on Bravo, job well done. Yeah, but that's where a lot of that look is. But again, and the nobody. Masks, and the weird masses are consuming so much of that. It's bizarre. Yeah. It is bizarre. And nobody is there to tell us what you see on TV is fake. And it is good lighting and good expensive surgeons. Mm-hmm. This is our life, and we cannot afford any of that. <laughs> and you're not being followed by television cameras all damn day. A lot of people think they are because of Snapchat, <laughs> Facebook Live. Technology is <laughs> great weird until... weird false sense of celebrity. Technology is great until it starts fucking up how people view themselves <laughs> and altering their reality. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, I got deep. <laughs> what would you like to talk about? <laughs> well, actually, it's uh, it's time to start wrapping up. Really? Um, yeah. Time flies. We're at an hour. So. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay then. It's incredible, you know. It's like so, we started at the three-hour mark of us talking. <laughs> we've now completed another hour, so you know we've been sitting here chatting for four hours. I'm sure you want to get back to your husband at some point. Um. <laughs> Well, when he comes home from his poker, poker game, game, sure. <laughs> yes. Um, where where can people get a hold of you? Where can people take a look at your stuff? What's your Instagram? What's all your social medias? Um, Instagram, all my social media, Phoenix Web M U A. M U A stands for makeup artist, but Phoenix Web M U A. Um, That's web with two B's. With two B's. And phoenixwebmua.com is my website. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's nice having you on the show. Thank it's you. It's nice having you come up and just chat. Like, like we have, like, we've known each other for a few years now. Yes. But we, we, you know, we bounce into each other at, like, events here and there, and we've worked on a couple of things, but we've never <laughs> had a chance to sit and talk for four hours. You know? Definitely. So, it's nice. It's cool. It's nice. Um, hopefully... Uh, things are going to work out in the next year or so where I have some projects to, you know, throw your way. So that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And thank you so much for inviting me up. Of course, it was yeah. wonderful long to hear overdue. from you. Long overdue. Well, you had talked about it about a year or two ago, and I said yes, and well, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, long overdue. So. But thank you anyway for thinking of me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, cool. So. Uh, be sure to check Phoenix out on the web and uh, if you've got any projects coming up I know she's uh, ready and willing to travel with her case full of makeup yes and make your people pretty absolutely <laughs> alright thanks Phoenix thank you David you know the old saying you never get a second chance to make a first impression that phrase is incredibly true in our business in entertainment your first impression can mean everything. It can mean the difference of booking a job or not booking a job, having an audition or not having an audition. That first impression can get you in the door and make things happen. And for an actor, that first impression is the headshot. First and foremost, casting directors, producers, they're going to see your headshot and they're going to make decisions about whether or not you get seen based on that one image. So it's incredibly important to make that image an investment in your future. 
And to do that, you want to find the right photographer, someone who's going to work with you to craft the perfect image, the perfect first impression. And I suggest you check out portraitsbypeggy.com. Peggy's been doing photography since the 80s, and she really knows her stuff. And she wants to work with you to craft the perfect captured image, the one that captures the uniqueness of you and helps you book the job. She wants to work with you. She wants to really get into who you are, what sort of jobs you're trying to book, and help you get the perfect image. So check out portraitsbypeggy.com and book your portfolio session today.